0: Locked On NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: That's right. It's Locked On NFL Fridays. We're your new host, Bo Brock, your boy Q. Taking over, taking the reins from our friends, Brian Peacock and Matt Williamson. You can still go find their great work at the new Peacock and Williamson podcast. Q, what's going on, man?
2: Man, happy to be here. I'm excited about this new journey that we're about to take on. And look, those, those fellas did a great job and they kind of passed the torch on to us. And I'm just excited about the opportunity, man. And let me go ahead and take the opportunity real quick to let everyone know that today's episode is being brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar, a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code On. You'll get $10 off your first order and we'll tell you more about that at the end of segment number one. Yeah, can- Q,
1: the great host of our Locked On Raiders podcast. I'm a host of our Locked On Arizona Cardinals podcast. So to get to talk national NFL, we're here for it. We're all about it. We're excited to talk to you guys each and every Friday. And uh, we're going to get into some wagers. We're going to look at some spreads once we get into the NFL season, which is, Q, just a few short days away. I mean, think about this. (laughs) This time next week. We're going to be breaking down an actual football game that means something in the standings.
2: Yeah, and a game that's going to be so exciting when you talk about the Chiefs and the Texans. Uh, I go back to last year's playoffs when the Texans were up 24 nothing and found a way to lose that game, and, and Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs came back. So yeah, what a way to start the season off, we're right, with a game like that. So uh, through everything we've been through this offseason, and 2020 has been a bear for everybody, we are right here on the eve. No more Thursdays without football at all ever since last night. So definitely excited about uh, the direction we're going. It's
1: glorious. They're wrapping some things up as far as training camp's concerned. Cam Newton, Captain Cam, his comeback story continues. The latest (laughs) news on that from the Pats signal caller in Foxborough. Josh Gordon is landing back on an NFL roster. But the news last night, Q... On Twitter, was Jadavion Clowney, there's a bidding war for the pass rushers' services.
2: Yeah, and I don't understand that at all. Uh, I think Jadavion Clowney played himself. Uh, I think that he had a couple offers that were really good from teams that are really good, including the Seattle Seahawks, that he should have took. But, you know, there's sometimes where you believe your own hype, or when someone tells you you're really good and you believe it. I've always been told, don't. Believe anything that someone tells you positive about yourself because then you'll get caught up. And I feel like Jadavion Clowney got caught up. He's obviously not going to get the money he was looking for. And really, I don't know about you, but his, his uh, injury history would scare me at this stage of the game. He hasn't had any training camp. Who knows what he did on, in the offseason by himself. And just all of a sudden jumping onto a roster and, and trying to get into the very first week of the season, it, that's a little scary for me. And I, I really honestly would pass on him. You know, it's interesting because
1: I would absolutely sign up for one year of Jadavian Clowney, especially if he's playing on a prove-it deal. I, I know he only had three and a half sacks for the Seattle Seahawks, but if your team that's already in a good spot and the teams that are he's rumored, he's rumored to go to, whether it's Tennessee, who had a surprise appearance in the uh, AFC Championship game, and we're going to talk to uh, our, our friend uh, Tyler Rowland, who covers Locked On Titans. It's part of our AFC South preview later in this podcast uh, they're they're ready to roll. And just adding a class rusher, even if it's in a, you know, a, a reserve role or a part time role, a guy like Jadavian Clowney, I mean, he's disruptive. And I, I'll take that for one year if you don't have to lock in and show a ton of guaranteed dollars to the guy.
2: Yeah, you know, with the Titans, I would lock in as well, and the only reason is because he's familiar with Mike Vrabel, and if anyone's going to know how to get the most out of him with a short period of prep time, it would be Mike Vrabel, but the other teams, like you mentioned, you know, the Saints maybe, uh, Jacksonville, I don't even know what they would be looking at him for because they're selling off the farm anyway, um, you know, and, and any other team that's looking at him, maybe Seattle from a long range, I don't think that they're in into him like that, but uh, I, I wouldn't trust them if it's a team that hasn't had any familiarity with him, just because, again, he's been injured his whole career. It's pretty scary to think about the prospect, though.
1: Cam Jordan, Jadavian Clowney, Marcus Davenport, and those just those big boys coming after you. And the NFC South, so much talent already in that division. We're going to talk to all the hosts from our NFC South podcast today as part of our NFC South preview as well. And, uh, you know, I. it. it if the Saints are the team, Titans are the team. I don't even know if you're Jadavian Clowney's agent and Jacksonville actually dials up your phone number. Are you not just laughing them off the receiver? I mean, like, what? What are they trying to accomplish by getting into the sweepstakes? I, I absolutely agree with you. Like, why? Why are we even talking about the Jags? Because it's been mass
2: exodus all week with that organization. Yeah, exactly. If Jacksonville's on the phone, I'm increasing my my uh my, my costs. You know, I'm saying, Hey, yeah, I wanted eighteen million dollars now from you I want twenty five. That's the only way I'm going there is if I get some stupid money. But I, I don't see that even being a uh I don't even see that uh, that is a factor. There's no way that he goes to Jacksonville, in my opinion, which means that he'll end up in Jacksonville.
1: <laughs> right. Right. And the, it's gonna be their attempt at Saxonville and you're just taking away you've got Josh Allen who's a nice young pass rusher yep. there, and then David Clowney who Look three and a half sacks last year. not right. not a whole lot of production. never reached double digit sacks for the former number one pick. Another former one, number one pick is making news for the New England Patriots. He's trying to become the successor for arguably the greatest quarterback of all time Tom Brady up in New England. And it just seems to be Q good news after good news after good news and Cam Newton, his comeback continues. The latest from Foxborough is Cam is the man. He's been named the starter over Jared Stidham. And on top of that, he's a team captain.
2: Yeah, that's really cool, man. And I'm excited for Cam Newton and his opportunity in New England. Uh, we'll see what he's got left in the tank. When Cam Newton was the MVP of the league back in 2015, when they went to Super Bowl 50, he was the guy. And no matter what team you were a fan of, you had to love uh, just the personality and the and the energy and the passion he went and played the game with. Obviously, hasn't been the same since because of injuries. So if he's Cam Newton like that 2015 or even close to 2015, then New England's cooking with grease. They got them a good opportunity. But if he's the Cam Newton you've seen the last couple seasons where he's been injured and banged up and on the sideline and not being able to play, then, well, it might be Jarrett Stidham time sooner rather than later. So we'll have to see how it goes. But I'll tell you, I've never rooted for the Patriots, but I'm rooting for Cam Newton.
1: Yeah, it is kind of fascinating that you have, like, in over a couple of months, they— Maybe their unlikability has lessened with him going there. Of course, Tom Brady going to Tampa Bay. But all we're hearing, the reports from Cam Newton, the captain status now, his grasp of the offense, uh, they're waxing poetic about that. His leadership, his worth ethic. He's the first guy in. He's the last guy out. It's all being applauded. Uh, But then here are a couple red flags for it. 0-9 in his last nine starts, including a loss in the playoffs to the New Orleans Saints. He's got 11 touchdowns to 10 uh, picks And then he's kind of been a shell of himself on the ground during that span under 200 yards rushing with no scores, which he's been the most successful running back or quarterback reaching the end zone. And for him in almost 10 games, not to find pay dirt, that's got to be a little concerning.
2: Yeah, I mean he just hasn't been the same guy, you know. Uh, we know that when he's healthy and he's right, he's one of the best in the league, you know. Not necessarily with his arm, but uh, best with his legs. And uh, I, I don't know what what guy the Patriots are going to get. And obviously they see him in practice. They made him a captain, so they must feel pretty good about where he's at. They got him on the very very cheap, so they got to feel good about that. And if Bill Belichick is the great Bill Belichick that everyone gives him credit for, which I'm not saying he's not, um, maybe he finds a way to make it work with Cam Newton. And all of a sudden you're looking back, and, when, and other teams are. Wondering why didn't we go get that guy when we had the opportunity? But again, that's going to be, remain to be seen throughout the season and see what Cam Newton could do with the with the Patriots. You mentioned that uh, NFC
1: champion Carolina Panthers squad in
2: 2015,
1: they went 15 and one, and with using his health as the qualifier, because I think you and I have both mentioned that. But if he's got a clean be- bill of health, he's working with one of the more talented rosters he's ever been a part of since that champion NFC champion team, in my opinion.
2: Right. I mean, look who he took to the Super Bowl with them in that team. You know, there wasn't like, it was just some big time household names that were studs. He didn't take Steve Smith with them. I mean, you know what I mean? He was, he was taking guys that are just okay. You know I mean? He had a lot of talent and he helped, he helped bring them along. I mean, he didn't have a lot of talent, but he helped bring them on, along and, and really pump them up. And so, uh, yeah, if he is that guy again, uh, he, he, man, the, the Patriots got them a steal but again, like I said, I, I really question if he's going to be that guy. And so I, I pause on my excitement level when it comes to Cam Newton because, again, I'm not sure if he's healthy. And if if, if he's not, then he's just going to be a shell of himself and it's going to be embarrassing to see again.
1: Quick note, as far as NFL news is concerned, Josh Gordon back as a member of the Seattle Seahawks re-signed. He's still applying for reinstatement, but according to ESPN reinstatement That process is going well. You're listening to Locked On NFL, Bo Brock, your boy Q. A lot to get into on this episode. We're going to get into our AFC South, NFC South preview. And we're going to kick things off with a team that's getting a little bit of a facelift because one of their stars was sent away, sent packing on day one of free agency. DeAndre Hopkins, no longer a member of the Houston Texans. How's life going to be for quarterback Deshaun Watson after Nook left Houston, they're kicking things off against the Kansas City Chiefs. We get our first glimpse of what Texans' life is going to be without Nook. We'll get into it. Q, I've been staying in shape during quarantine, and my secret weapon, it's Built Bar. It's the best-tasting protein bar ever, and it's new, improved, and even more delicious, sir if that's a word, <laughs> than even before. 18 amazing flavors including nut and non-nut flavors for those who have a peanut allergy. six new flavors, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, apple almond crisp. Add it to the 12 OG original flavors that we know and we love. I surprisingly, I love I love orange. It's a delicious built bar that I was shocked was so good. It's not only tasty, it's healthy. Covered in 100% chocolate, the Built Bar is great for the health-conscious person out there. Lose, maintain weight, well, indulging in a delicious treat. The bar is low in calorie, low in sugar, but they're high in protein and high in fiber, just what you need and great for the keto diet. 19 grams of protein for the peanut butter Built Bar. 180 c- calories, 5 grams of sugar, 5 grams of net carbs. Right now. Head to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code On, all one word, and you'll get $10 off your next order. That's using the promo code LOCKEDON
2: for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. As we get excited for the NFL season, it's right around the corner. The very first game of the season will be the defending Super Bowl champs, Kansas City Chiefs versus the Houston Texans. And to get all thoughts on the Houston Texans right now, we got Cody Davis, host of Locked On Texans. And, and Cody, thank you so much for joining us. And I got to ask you, before we get into the nuts and the bolts of the team, sounds like uh, Deshaun Watson is about to get a contract extension, maybe not the length of a Patrick Mahomes, but what does it sound like? What are you feeling as far as uh, money-wise? is going to Deshaun Watson coming up soon.
3: Deshaun Watson is on his way to getting a lengthy contract. Of course, it's not going to be the length of a Patrick Mahone. First and foremost, even he said it himself, he's not expecting a Patrick Mahomes contract because he has not, he because he has not got himself to the level of a Patrick Mahomes. with that being said with the MVPs and the Super Bowl championship. So, of course, it's not going to be a 10-year record-breaking. What, what was it? 400-and-something million-dollar <laughs> contract, but it's going to be up there. Hopefully they could get it taken care of some point during this season. Biggest takeaway is the fact that because we have Deshaun Watson's contract situation, it's part of the reason why we saw guys like Davion Clowney and DeAndre Hopkins walk out the door because everyone knows that Deshaun Watson is possibly about to sign the biggest contract in the history of this franchise.
1: Cody Davis, Locked on Texans, joins us here, Locked on NFL, our AFC South preview. And come next Thursday, what's life look like post DeAndre Hopkins for Deshaun Watson?
3: It's pretty exciting, you know. Just like everybody else, me and my co-host John, who's unfortunately not here, you know, we was blindsided by the trade with DeAndre Hopkins, um, trading him to um Ari- trading him to the Arizona Cardinals. But everything that we have seen from this team during training camp, what Bill O'Brien has said, what Tim Kelly, the new offensive coordinator, has said, it's really exciting. And my biggest takeaway from the Texans departing from Hopkins going into this new era is the Texans' offense was kind of, you knew what they was going to do. Everyone knew, find DeAndre Hopkins, give him the ball, and let him go to work. Now you replace him. The Texans now have multiple weapons out on the field. Will Fuller, full of Brandon Cooks, Kenny Stills, Randall Cobb. Every single one of those guys can step up. This team is made up with a variety of good targets, and that's just the receiving core. We didn't even talk about um, Duke Johnson and David Johnson, what they can bring as well. I would much rather have multiple guys who can go out there and be a threat versus having one guy who can do it all. Sounds very
2: patriot-like, and obviously Bill O'Brien comes from that patriot tree uh, under Bill Belichick. And you mentioned David Johnson. Are you getting 2016 David Johnson, or are you getting the last couple of years of banged up and injured David Johnson? What are your thoughts, and how's he been looking in camp?
3: I don't think David Johnson is going to have the opportunity to return to his 2016 self because I don't think he's going to have that many touches. Because, like I just said, we have four wideouts who can be, you know, that top. Option on any given Sunday. Plus, he's sharing the backfield with Duke Johnson. But he has looked very explosive in training camp. You know, he he has looked good to me. But at the same time, it's hard to kind of get a feel of what type, what version of David Johnson we're going to get. Just because you know, you a lot of guys, even guys who are trying to make the fifty-three man roster, they they can look hella good in training camp. <laughs> but when the lights on and when it's time to go out. Then perform when you have hopefully thousands of fans screaming your name rather than cheering for you or booing for you, the results might look a little bit different.
1: How hot is the seat for Bill O'Brien going into 2020 and what does he need to do to back up these bold offseason
3: moves? Uh, that Uh That's a tough one, man. You know, to be honest, down here in Houston, there's no in between. Either you love him or you hate him. I, I, I don't want to say that this is the year that his seat is hot. I, I think. When you look at the trades that he made, especially departing Clowney and departing Hopkins, at first you can look at that and say, oh yeah, his his seat is on fire. But when you take a look at it from, from a financial standpoint, the money that he saved, I mean, hell, look at Jadavion Clowney. He is still out there on the market trying to get the Marcus Lawrence type numbers, and yet he's not even putting up seven sacks in the season. You take a look at his numbers last year. But I think in order for Bill O'Brien to at least – continue his career in Houston he has to get this team to an AFC championship game it's almost like a roller coaster with him one year we go to the divisional round. the next year injuries take over us and we don't even make the playoffs then the following year we do good it seems like we go to the AFC championship game the next thing you know we get bumped out in the wild card game it's an everlasting roller coaster and I think in order to save Bill O'Brien not just for the 2021 season for but for at least the next two to three season, he needs to get this team to an AFC championship game.
2: And now we head to Jacksonville to take a look at the Jacksonville Jaguars. To help us do that is Tony Wiggins, host of Locked On Jags. You can find him on Twitter at ShopTalkingWig. And Tony, when it comes to the Jaguars, man, there's been a lot of um, lot of guys leaving Jacksonville. There's a lot of players that have defected out of Jacksonville. Don't look too happy of uh, from where you're standing and from uh, your understanding of the team, what is the plan for 2020 there in Jacksonville?
4: A lot of talk nationally about tanking, uh, tanking for Trevor. You know, uh, yeah. and, uh, that doesn't really make sense to anybody that really follows football because you'd have to get the guys that are in charge to be tanking, and they'd have to know that they're not going to get fired. You know, and that just doesn't—it doesn't really work like that. Uh, I do believe that uh, Dave Caldwell does kind of have a a, a a little bit of a pass, and they know that he's going to be around since he's gathered all of these assets. Twenty Now 23 draft picks, draft choices between last year and, and next year's draft. And uh, Morone would have to be crazy, though, to think that he can tank and still keep his job. That's just not the way the league works. And players that have to put good tape out, aren't going to tank either already hashtag
1: tanking for Trevor is Gardner Minshew going to get a legit shot in his second year to be the man in Jacksonville
4: he's going to get a legit shot and and I think the shot will be legit enough that you'll know at the end of this year whether or not it's a situation whether Gardner Minshew is Ryan Fitzpatrick whether or not he's a guy who can play 10 years in this league or he's legitimately a guy who can take you to the Super Bowl Because let's just face it, when you're a six-round pick and then you throw for 21 touchdowns and six picks, there's always going to be either the we downplayed it too much and we undervalued him or there's going to be the proverbial overreaction that, Oh my God, he's the next coming to Drew Brees. So there really is no in between. It's going to be one or the other.
2: Tony, we're just a couple seasons away from, or or from, you know, removed from uh, Jacksonville being Saxonville. I mean, really, how did we get to this point? How did it all of a sudden become a place that these players didn't want to be at anymore?
4: Well, here's what happened. You bring in Tom Coughlin because at first they came in with the Gus Bradley approach. And it didn't work. Right. So yeah. you had kind of a team full of nice guys. It didn't work. Then they said, you know what? We need to go out and get a bunch of dogs that could bite. So they get a bunch of dogs that could bite and Q. And you know, what happens is when you get a bunch of dogs that bite, they wake up in the morning and they bite. And sometimes you can't control them. Sometimes you <laughs> walk into that room and all of those pit bulls and Rottweilers, you don't know who the owner is and they ain't listening. Right. So that kind of gets out of control a little bit. And now you need to rein it all back in. But now you had a room full of nice guys again. So it's always like the extreme. Either we need the Rottweilers or we need the Labrador Retrievers. We can't have, we can't have this nice little mix. So that's the problem with these types of organizations. They're never really in front of stuff. They're always reactionary. And that's why it's so frustrating. So what's happening is those Rottweilers are now playing somewhere else, and they're happy. You know what I'm saying? Right. The funny thing is last year Nick Foles came in, and Nick Foles talked about culture. And these people almost ran him out of here because he was talking like O.P. Taylor or something because they're used to that bravado. But when that bravado is out of control, it's nice to have it when you're winning. But when you're losing, that's a problem.
2: So final question real quick. Uh, what is your expectation as far as wins, win total for uh, Jacksonville this season?
4: That's a golden question, man, because you know this thing going on on, on, the, uh, on the internet right now where somebody, that, you know, whenever something happens and somebody sarcastically tweets, I thought I heard a blankety-blank say something. Well, that's, what's, that's what it's going to be this year. You know what it's going to be this year? They're going to win a bunch of games, and then everybody's going to post a picture of Gardner Minshew and say, I thought I heard somebody somebody say something. Or you're going to see a bunch of pictures of Jalen Ramsey, Yannick Ngakwe, and Leonard Fournette, and people are going to say, I thought I heard a Jaguars management or a coach say something. Because it's either going to be 10-6, and six and we're on the upswing, Because I think they're gonna score a lot of points, but I think they're gonna give up a lot of points too. Or it's gonna be four and twelve, and the natives are gonna be restless because that's not gonna be good enough for them to draft the other quarterback that's coming out of Clemson. It's gonna be bad, but it's not gonna be bad enough that they get Trevor Lawrence. Kind of like what Miami did last year, where Miami looked like they were tanking and they were gonna get two, and then they ended up with the fifth pick. Now they got him anyway. But they, they, they didn't get the kid from LSU. So, you know, we'll see what happens, man. It's going to be a crazy year. It's wild. We complain about it, but this is a dream for a dude that does a podcast. When this when this starts being a dumpster fire, oh, you know the shows are going to get good.
1: Our AFC South preview marches on here are Locked On NFL. Bo Brock, your boy Q. We're now joined by Tyler Rowland of Locked On Titans. Give him a follow on Twitter, at Titans. After a ho-hum 9-7 regular season sneaking into the playoffs, the Titans shocked everybody, ending the Tom Brady era in New England and then beating Lamar Jackson in the 14-2 Baltimore Ravens. Tyler, do the Titans have the benefit of flying under the radar in this upcoming season after making all that noise in last year's playoffs?
0: Yeah, somehow, someway, it seems like they're still under the radar despite the fact everyone in the NFL is, is talking about the importance of continuity and being on the same page and and bringing back similar concepts from the year before because of the limited offseason. And with that in mind, wouldn't that point you directly towards the Tennessee Titans being one of the top teams in the AFC and, and at least being at the top of their division? That is the theme For the Titans heading into the 2020 season is continuity, especially on offense. And since you mentioned Ryan Tannehill, obviously we'll start there. Titans bring back Ryan Tannehill after a magical season on a big time deal. So they saw 10 games and then the playoffs and said, all right, we're going to give you $90 million guaranteed, a four-year contract. Uh, And then same with Derrick Henry. They brought back Derrick Henry two years, basically made it like he got the franchise tag two years in a row up front right now, some security for Derrick Henry. But, you know, you're bringing back four of the five starters on the offensive line. The new starter has been with the team for multiple years in Dennis Kelly. you got a tight end in Jonu Smith, who started to break out last year, has never had a healthy offseason in his NFL career up until this offseason. So um, there with the weapons at wide receiver and A.J. Brown, Corey Davis has been impressing in camp, a healthy Adam Humphreys to be that chain mover. The Titans just have a lot of continuity on offense that they can build from last year, the success that you saw. A Tennessee Titans team led by the offense, absolutely impressive last year and a shocker to most of the fan base, but they're going to try to keep that going on the offensive side of the ball for certain.
2: With all that positivity that you just mentioned on the offensive side of the ball, what is the negative? What needs to be better for Tennessee to take that next step in 2020?
0: Well, obviously, they have to establish a secondary compliment to Derrick Henry. You can't run him into the ground. Now, a lot of people will look at rookie running back Darrington Evans. He was a third-round pick out of Appalachian State. He's more of that do-everything-back, catch the ball out of the backfield, can run the ball, but he's a rookie. I've talked about the limited offseason, so the Titans have to manufacture other ways to get those short yardage extension of the run game plays through the passing game. I think through wide receiver screens with run-after-the-catch uh, specialists like John Smith, A.J. Brown, and then get Adam Humphreys more involved. He was injured last year. Get him involved in the short or intermediate routes, and that can be an extension of the run game for the Titans to allow Darrington Evans to get up to speed as a rookie and then lessen the load on Derrick Henry to increase his longevity based on the contract you just gave him.
1: Tyler, this offseason, the trade went down that sent Jarrell Casey to the Denver Broncos. Is this Titans defense going to miss that veteran
0: anchoring their defense in 2020? You know, I I understand that Casey is a name, but quite frankly, his name didn't match his play last year, at least for most of the season. He kind of picked things up later in the year towards the playoffs, and the Titans started using him outside more, but he was getting washed away inside last year, and he was dealing with some injuries, but he is on the backside of his career, and a guy like Jeffrey Simmons, who uh, was coming back from an ACL tear, who was a first-round pick last year, only played in games uh, week seven was his first game of the year. He played with a knee brace all year. he looks incredibly healthy, his body looks different. And Jeffrey Simmons is the name to know on the Titans defense. He could be up there with the Fletcher Coxes, the Aaron Donalds, the uh, Grady Jarretts, uh, names like that guy to replace Jarrell Casey and honestly, give the Titans more than Casey ever gave them at his peak.
2: You got to ask the question about Vic Beasley. He's been an offseason question mark. Don't really know what's going on with him. Brought him over from Atlanta. Uh, What is the latest and the greatest
0: when it comes to Beasley? Uh, Right now, Beasley's still on the non-football injury list after having an unexcused absence for the first 10 days of training camp, missing out on $500,000 in mandatory fines. He showed up, failed his physical, and has not passed his physical yet. He has not been out on the practice field. At this point in time, it's fair to wonder uh, if he'll be able to make an impact at least early on in this season. Had no practice time Hasn't had any walkthroughs, so at, at this point, it's not even a question of him getting healthy. It's when will he even be mentally and physically ready to contribute to the football team. And after giving him $6 million guaranteed as a signing bonus, nine and a half for the season, 12 with incentives. Uh, it does look like a signing that could blow up in the Titans' face, but that that big fish, that free agent, Jadavian Clowney, has been <laughs> rumored with the Titans for quite some time throughout this all season. If they bring Clowney in before the start of the regular season, it kind of washes away the negative feelings along with uh, with what Beasley has put the Titans through so far.
2: And now it's time to close out the AFC South. And to do that, we got to take a look at the Indianapolis Colts. And to help us do that is the host of Locked On Colts. That's Evan Sidery, and we appreciate your time, Evan. Phillip Rivers, he comes over from the Chargers. He's now the QB1 as far as the Colts go. Uh, What is it like, uh, life with Phillip Rivers as the quarterback? And is he the guy that can take this Colts team where they need to go?
5: I think so. From all indications so far, we've heard out of Colts training camp so far. Tim rave reviews all around from the players and coaching staff about Phillip Rivers. Not only his leadership, but his production on the field too has been very good. With this running attack they have with Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor, adding the playmakers with Michael Pittman Jr., T.Y. Hilton, and Jack Doyle, the reliable tight end there. I think they're expecting the terms to go down a lot for Phillip Rivers. Of course, the 20 interceptions last year. He's going to be playing more so a game manager role, just be efficient, get the ball out quick and play a sort of style that really benefits their rushing attack here. It's going to be a heavy running attack approach if Rivers, playing a lot of play action sets in this Colts offense. So compared to Jacoby Brissett last year, Rivers is definitely going to be a lot better as far as quick decisions goes, really making the aggressive throw when need be, which the Colts desperately missed last year. So I think Rivers, if all goes well, if he cuts down his turnovers a lot, he can really bounce back to that 2018 form.
1: Ryan Kelly signs the highest paid contract for center in NFL history. I got to imagine Philip Rivers has got to be pretty confident in his offensive line with not only Kelly
5: and Quentin Nelson protecting his blind side. Oh, absolutely. I think it's the best offensive line in the NFL. They have Ryan Kelly, of course, they can mentioned, locked into a four-year, $50 million deal earlier today on Thursday afternoon. They also have Quentin Nelson up front, Anthony Costanzo as well, one of the more underrated left tackles in the NFL. And Brayden Smith at right tackle, I think it's one of the more underrated right tackles in the NFL, a former guard out of college who's really transitioned well over there so far. So they really have four above-average starters there on the offensive line, and they continue to coalesce and gel together. They played all 16 games together last year as well. I think from Phil Burr's standpoint, it's the best offensive line he's had in his career by far. So from that, from that angle, I really think this Colts offensive line should be road graders up front like they've been in the last couple of years and led by Quentin Nelson. They could be the X factors to the Colts making a run here.
1: Evan, he's a mammoth of a man in the middle of that Colts defense. You mentioned DeForest Buckner. It seems like they've got talent on every level of that defense. Just talk about the impact that he'll make on this on this D.
5: It's going to be wide ranging. I think all three levels of those Colts' defense are going to benefit. And Anthony Walker, the Colts' starting Mike linebacker, mentioned earlier today that the Colts want to have forty turnovers this year, as far as production goes, which would by far lead the NFL the most since twenty twelve, I believe, with the Bears and the Patriots. With Buckner in there, the interior pressure is going to bring is going to be so immense for this these linebacker core to with Walker. Darius Leonard is going to be running free, which is going to be a scary side for defenses too. A lot less pressure on the secondary as well with Buckner up front because the secondary got a little bit torched last year at the end of the year. But with Buckner up front, you had in Justin Houston as well. who's a reliable veteran. Kamoko Torres, is an ascending talent up front too as well. This could be a team that could really generate a lot of turnovers, take a lot of pressure off that back end and be able to be a bully on the trenches, which I think Chris Fowler has been trying to build ever since he's been in the Colts GM since 2017. So I think Buckner, if he's on his all pro level, this could be a top seven, top 10 type defense for the Colts in 2020.
2: Flipping back over to the offense real quick, Michael Pittman Jr., he gets drafted by the Colts. How big is that for T.Y. Hilton kind of taking the pressure
5: off of him as wide receiver number one? Oh, it's immense. Uh, it's huge for T.Y. because you've seen over the last couple of years the types of wideouts they've had next to him. Devin Funches, Ryan Grant, Dante Moncrief. It's been just a really, really poor management of the wide receiver group. But with Chris Bauer the last couple of years, they drafted Paris Campbell last year the speed of Ohio State in the second round. Unfortunately, he was injured a lot last year, so we couldn't see much of him. But Michael Pittman Jr., four, 225, ex-receiver, who I think is going to do really well in the scheme of Philip Rivers as well. As you all know, Rivers loves to target those big body guys like Malcolm Floyd, Mike Williams, Vincent Jackson. I think Michael Pittman Jr. is going to be the next in line there as far as the big bodies go in the red zone. So I think for T.Y. Hilton's sake, it's going to take a lot of pressure off him because the last couple of years we've seen either a safety over the top or a linebacker shadowing him. So for T.Y., this could be finally his breakout year since post-Andrew Luck.
1: Texans, Titans, they're trying to get back to the playoffs and back-to-back seasons. Do you envision the Colts disrupting
5: those plans? I do. I truly believe so. I think this Colts team is at minimum a 10-win team, and if all goes well with Philip Rivers and DeForest Buckner, I think this could be an 11-12-win team. I think they could be a team that's right there in the Tier 2 leading that behind Baltimore and Kansas City. They, they're really built well to it, DeForest Buckner up front, where if they do get the January football, this power run game, this really intimidating defensive line to Forrest Buckner up front and Justin Houston, they could be sort of the new Tennessee Titans and improved Tennessee Titans that we saw last year that really just made their hay with the running game and, and the trenches and the playoffs in January football, and if they can stop Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, this team can make a really magical run in my opinion, maybe an AFC title game appearance.
2: So that was our look right there at the AFC South. Lots of good stuff right there, Bo, and so now it's time to turn our attention to the NFC South. And to do that, we got to go ahead and take a look at Drew Brees. We got to take a look at Tom Brady. We got to see what's going on in Carolina. And of course, we got to see what's going on with the Atlanta Falcons. The NFC South is up next here on the Locked On NFL Podcast. Our
1: AFC NFC South preview continues here. The new Locked On NFL podcast, Bo Brock, your boy Q. We're now joined by our friend Ross Jackson at Ross Jackson Nola on Twitter the host of Locked On Saints. And Ross, 13-3, and but another disappointment in the playoffs for the Saints team. Breeze is back. How loud is that clock ticking for the Saints team? Oh, it's loud.
6: (laughs) There's no doubt about that. It's quite loud. I mean, look, the, the idea here is that this team wants to win a Super Bowl this year. I mean, it's always been Super Bowl or bust for the Saints here over the last few years, but certainly during this uh, season that is expected to be Drew Brees' final season, more than likely, uh, that the clock is definitely ticking to to get that next Lombardi down for him.
2: And we know that Michael Thomas, he's going to be, you know, wide receiver number one. He's a constant dude. I mean, he, he's an all-star. I mean, he, he's, the, he's the guy. But... Uh, the Saints bringing Emmanuel Sanders in the offseason in free agency. How big of an addition was that to the Saints roster? That's
6: huge. I mean, for the Saints, particularly when you look at the conservative play calling that they had to resort to when it went to, or resort to rather, when it went down to that wildcard game against Minnesota, having that additional wide receiver would have opened that playbook up so much more. But, you know, Ted Ginn Jr. came in in 2017, looked great, kind of fell off 2018-2019 and the defense, I'm sorry, the offense for the Saints definitely suffered for it. I mean, you look at the disparity between 149 Catches all the way down to the next wide receiver, and was over a hundred catch difference nearly uh, there, or over a hundred catch difference there. And so, uh, you know, Emmanuel Sanders gives you somebody that can bring in over 50 catches opposite Michael Thomas at the wide receiver position, in addition to the rest of the weapons that the Saints already have on this offense.
1: Ross Jackson locked on Saints, another member of that offense. Alvin Kamara has been trending this week. Is it important that this contract disputes? not linger into the regular season.
6: I think it's probably more important for Alvin Kamara who look, he's a running back. He needs to get his money as soon as possible, right? Cause we know the shelf life of running backs can be affected any given week and any given Sunday and the NFL. And so for him and his people, it's very much about getting this contract done before the season begins for the saints if he's going to play in 2020 no matter what, then they're in a pretty good position here moving forward. So, I, But I do think that both the Saints and Alvin Kamara are intent upon getting this deal done before the regular season begins so they can lock him down and have that long-term uh, go-to guy at the, at the running back position for Drew Brees' final year and to help the bridge the gap to whoever the next quarterback is in the Big Easy as well.
2: Ross, I cannot talk Saints without asking on the defensive side of the ball about Marcus Davenport. I was at the draft when the Saints traded up for him. I kind of was shocked when it happened. But mm-hmm. uh, what, are the, what is the return on Marcus Davenport and how big of a year should this and could this be for the young man? Well,
6: we often call him two firsts uh, here in New Orleans because
2: <laughs> the Saints gave up two
6: first round picks for him. So two first, firsts, um, you know, is, is so far the return has been good when he's on the field and producing. The issue has been injuries over the last couple of years. He had a turf toe injury that kept him out for a couple of uh, a couple of games, about five games. His rookie season last year, he had a Liz Frank injury that ended his season prematurely. The expectations of him are high coming into this 2020 year. He's bulked up. He's up to 280 pounds now, which Mm -hmm. is great because he's bulked up to that which has helped him big time in the in the run game, but as a pass rusher, he's maintained his agility, he's maintained his speed and his quickness, his short area quickness, all the things that made him stand out as a pass rusher out of UTSA. So he's maintaining that area of his game while also putting on some weight and putting on some bulk, so he can continue to be effective in the and uh, in, in sort of the run defense side. If he can stay healthy all season, he walked away with a little bit over six sacks last year. Uh, they want to get him as close to double digits as possible opposite Cam Jordan, and they have a very talented defensive line to distract and help him do that.
2: Ross, real quick, let me just ask you about fans in the stands and the fact that there won't be uh, fans in the stands across most of the NFL. And Mm -hmm. I know Saints fans always take care of business at home, but then they travel as well. Uh, They travel really, really well. Uh, How big of a deal will that be to not have that big fan base each and every week like the Saints are used to having?
6: Yeah, I mean it's a pretty big factor at home. The Saints have fortunately been very good away from home here recently, better than they have been in the uh, in the less recent past. So that certainly helps them in terms of playing in something that might feel a little bit more like a neutral uh, neutral zone or neutral uh, sort of space. But the fact of the matter is that, you know, any team is going to miss their home fans if they don't have them. So the Saints for sure will open up the season against Tom Brady in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and now Leonard Fournette in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers without fans in the stands. And then uh, the second game against the, as they host Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers in week three, is up in the air in terms of trying to get a rotation of season subscribers in and season ticket holders in. So we'll see how they continue to increase the numbers over the year, but they'll certainly open up in what is a wild situation to watch Drew Brees and Tom Brady open up a season with nobody there to see
2: it. (laughs) True.
1: We are now joined by our friend over at Locked on Bucks, David Harrison. Give him a follow on dharrison82 on Twitter. He co-hosts the Locked on Bucks podcast with James Yarko. And David, this has got to be the most interesting team in twenty twenty. Tom Brady, Gronk, now Leonard Fournette, and everybody's favorite fun uncle, Bruce Arians. But let's start (laughs) with that hot topic. How does Fournette fit in Tampa?
7: You know, I mean, if you look back to what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers tried to do with their running game last year, you know, it was Peyton Barber coming into the season as RB1. Ronald Jones was the change of pace guy, the agility guy with more speed that could complement Peyton Barber's more fall forward bulldozer type of running style. But it really just didn't work out. And Peyton Barber eventually lost that RB1 status. Ronald Jones eventually took over. And in a very small, you know, relatively small starting role as a running back there for the Buccaneers, did some good things. We saw some growth out of him, not just as a running back, but also in the passing game. So a lot of excitement for him coming into 2020 as that true number one running back. And then they bring in Shady McCoy a couple weeks ago. You know, a guy that you think can mentor him and everything else. And then very rapidly, you know, Leonard Fournette goes from being a Jacksonville Jaguar to rumored to, me, you know, the Bucks are interested. And now all of a sudden he's on his way to Tampa. Uh, deal is not officially done. Uh, as far as I know, just got out of recording locked On Bucks with James as well. So if that news has gotten solidified, uh, I'm not aware of it just yet. But that really is kind of what we're looking at is we're expecting a little bit more of that Peyton Barber, Ronald Jones relationship, except Ronald Jones is still leading. Uh, That room, Bruce Arians talking to the press on Friday, talked about this is still Ronald Jones' job. He's still RB1 unless Ronald Jones proves that he's not ready to be RB1. Leonard Fournette's not going to come in and take his job. It's going to have to be on Rojo to lose it. But if Rojo does lose it, you've got Leonard Fournette coming in. I mean, you expect him to run a little bit angry, definitely have a chip on his shoulder. You know, he's got the bus label coming out of uh, what everybody says is a pretty toxic organization there in Jacksonville. So you have to imagine he's coming into Tampa with looking for something to prove one-year deal, so he's going to be a free agent next year looking to make money off that whole transaction. So we expect a motivated guy, but we do expect Ronald Jones to, to still be the
2: number one guy in Tampa. So you got the running backs, you got the quarterback, you got the weapons on the outside. Is the offensive line led, led by Tristan Wirfs, is that where it needs to be for this team to be successful?
7: Yeah, I think when you boil when it boils down to it, I mean, Tom Brady can, you know, he, he's, he's a cerebral quarterback. He knows how to read every defense that any defensive coordinator can throw at him. But at the end of the day, with any quarterback, if he doesn't have time, it's just not going to happen. And, and people have talked about it over and over again, especially this offseason, that Tom Brady really struggles the most when they get pressure up the middle. So as much as everybody wants to, you know, focus in on Tristan worst the rookie at right tackle, and then Donovan Smith, the, the very embattled left tackle over there, I think really the, the biggest focus is going to be on Ali Marpet, Ryan Jensen, who had a better year last year than his first year with the Buccaneers, and then Alex Kappa, who's kind of the unknown guy on that offensive line, doesn't really get a lot of press. Came into training camp this year looking better physically, looked more built to be an interior offensive lineman than he did last year. And uh, from all reports coming out of training camp, he's doing a really good job. So if that interior can do really well. It's going to help take a little bit of that pressure off of the outside guys, the tackles, because we already know if you try to bring, pre- bring pressure around the edge on Tom Brady, he already knows how to pick you apart. It's that up-the-middle pressure that the Buccaneers really need to focus on. And it looks like that unit, that three-man unit up there, is ready for the job.
1: Yeah, it sounds like Brian and Lefwich, Bruce Arians have an embarrassment of riches on offense. And that wasn't even the problem last year, David. You had 28 points per game, but then you look at the other side of the football, 28 points per game in 2019 scored against the Bucs. Did Jason Light, the general manager, give defensive coordinator Todd Bowles enough to turn this defense around, especially that secondary in 2020? Yeah, I mean, I
7: think Jason Light, honestly, you know, I'm not privy to those conversations, obviously, but I kind of feel like going into the offseason, Jason Light probably sat down with Coach Arians and Coach Bowles and said, what do we need on this defense to really take it up a notch next year? And I feel like Todd Bowles looked at him and said, you know what? Maybe give me one more youthful, uh, versatile tool that I can use in the secondary. Other than that, I'm good. Bring back my starting 11 because that's exactly what they did. Every starting player from that defense 2019 is back for 2020. And we've had Carmen Vitaly on the show recently, another Buccaneer staff member. And then Scott Smith, the senior editor of Buccaneers.com, and and everybody's reporting that that defense looks more creative now than it ever has before. And I think that second year with the same starting group, adding a Swiss Army knife like Antoine Winfield Jr. just gives Todd Bowles many more options to work with. We expect more from Devin White as a pass rusher, expect more from Levante David as a pass rusher. So in year two, even though it's going to look the same, we think Todd Bowles is going to take that to the next level by building on that platform that he built in 2019.
1: David, are the Bucs the team to beat in the NFC South in 2020? The Saints are the team to beat until they are beaten.
7: I think the Buccaneers could definitely become that team that beats the New Orleans Saints, unseats them as early as uh, nine days from today. But we'll see how that happens. But before the Buccaneers can really, truly become the team to beat in the NFC South, they've got to unseat the Saints first. That's step one. Week one's your opportunity to do it. Go in there slay the king and take the crown
2: now we got to turn our attention to the carolina panthers they got a new head coach they got some new pieces there on the team and and to help us dissect the carolina panthers is bill Rossetti, host of locked on panthers and bill uh matt rule first year head coach uh what are the thoughts there in carolina about what he's got going in into the season uh 2020 everybody's excited you know nice fresh start you know uh,
8: kind of getting over all the mess that we saw over the last couple of years. It's a, you know, brand new team as we, as we saw, it's a, you know, complete rebuild, completely hit the reset button, but it, it It's a fun time. I mean, there's definitely light at the end of the tunnel. You know, there's no uh, it might not be immediate, but we know Matt rules track record with Baylor and Temple turning them into contenders in a couple of years. And I think Panthers fans feel the same thing is coming uh, in Carolina. I mean, they gave him a seven year deal for a reason. They're giving them the time to just get that, uh, get that, get that rebuild going. So we're excited, man. It's going to be a fun time here.
1: With all that change, including Rule, offensive coordinator Joe Brady, and quarterback Teddy Bridgewater, I got to imagine the expectations
8: are different than just wins and losses and maybe more so on development. Exactly, Bill. I mean, nobody here is expecting the Panthers to win like 9, 10, 11 games. We we know this team ain't going to be a contender. I think about 6 and 10 might be kind of the ceiling for this team. It's really just seeing a lot of these young pieces and just watch them develop, like you said, especially on defense. I mean... You know, we saw for the first time ever uh, a team spend all seven of their draft picks on defense. And I've been on record on the podcast saying that I think within the next, like, three or four years, I think potentially all seven of these draft picks could eventually work their way into starters. So, really, it's just seeing how these young pieces develop, and especially guys like, you know, uh, obviously, their top pick Derek Brown, and Ito Grossmatos, and Jeremy Chin, how they kind of adapt and how quickly they adapt to the NFL game, and, you know, certainly it's going to be a, a tough challenge, because, I mean, you've obviously got three great offenses that you're going up against in the NFC South, so these guys are going to kind of be thrown to the wolves, so it's just those rookie rookie grown pains that these guys are going to go through but I think eventually down the line things are going to start to gel together once things settle in a bit for all these guys once they get the rookie jitters out of the way. So again, I I'm I'm excited to see these young guys go but yeah, obviously, you know, wins and losses, not really uh not really highly expected, but Teddy Bridgewater and Joe Brady, I mean, there's a lot of excitement there too. I mean, you know, Teddy Bridgewater Coming over, he uh, We know he's throwing the ball well. We saw what he did in those five games against the Saints or uh, with the Saints, excuse me, last season. And you know, Joe Brady's going to bring his dynamic offense to a team that already has a bunch of playmakers. So, uh, really excited to see how how he utilizes all these guys. I mean, Robbie Anderson has said uh, he's pretty much thriving over, uh, or really excited over the playbook. So, I think there's a you know some intrigue in this team just in terms of. You know, some of the storylines and just how uh, how this team embraces the rebuild.
2: What what are your thoughts real quick on the offense and all these new pieces that you're talking about? We know Christian McCaffrey. He's the constant constant and and he's going to do what he does. But how quickly can all these new guys get on the same page? Because there's a lot of new parts there. Yeah, exactly. And that was always
8: one of the biggest questions with this team, too, especially with, you know, the whole pandemic and a lot of these teams not having a, uh, a true offseason. So these guys really didn't get out of the gate until training camp. But from the looks of, th- you know, from the sounds of things, uh, everybody's starting to gel together pretty well. Teddy Bridgewater has been doing a nice job of kind of leading the offense. And, you know, Robbie Anderson has kind of settled in well. Ian Thomas has had some good days. I'm excited to see what he can finally do now. As the number one tight end, the biggest issue is just you know how is this offensive line going to gel together? Obviously, new pieces at uh, the two guard spots. You know how are they uh, how are they going to get filled in, and how productive are these guys going to be? But I mean, like I said, I mean you you look at Joe Brady and what he's basically going to bring over from LSU and with the Saints, and he's got a bunch of playmakers and. You know, when in doubt, just give it to McCaffrey. I think you're going to, that, that's really what it's going to come down to in Carolina. Um, but I think they're not going to be afraid to let Teddy chuck it once in a while, too. So I'm excited to watch this offense.
1: Bill, real quick wise guys saying the over under for wins this season's five and a half.
8: What are you taking? Oh, of, of course, five. I mean, that's pretty much right around where I have them. I'm going to. I'm gonna sl- I'm gonna take the under. I'm gonna say about five and eleven. I mean, there's a lot of tough games on this schedule, you know. <laughs> yeah, give me the under on a five and a half, and give me the good possibility that this team is drafting in the top five again next year. And who knows, maybe uh, Trey Lance or Justin Fields will be coming to Carolina in 2021 and we'll wrap up our NFC AFC South preview
2: with our host from Lockdown Falcons Aaron Freeman he joins us here on the podcast we got to ask about one of the acquisitions in the in the offseason which was Todd Gurley comes over from the Rams they release him Uh, Atlanta picks him up what are the expectations for a guy who once was one of the best running backs in the league and now is trying to rejuvenate his career I don't think the Falcons
9: are going into the season expecting Gurley to be sort of the peak target Gurley that was offensive player of the year in 2017 and was picked up where he left off in 2018 prior to the knee issue that's sort of plagued him the last couple of years. But I do think the Falcons are really expecting Gurley to provide that balance that was been sorely lacking in this offense the last couple of years. One of the big reasons why they fired Steve Sarkeesian after the 2018 season was because of the lack of balance in the offense. The Falcons ran the ball the least in the league in terms of their percentage of plays that season. They wanted to hire Dirk Cutter to restore the uh, running game, and they didn't really get that. They got a minor improvement, but they still had one of the weaker running games in the NFL in 2019. So the expectation is Gurley's not going to necessarily be the guy that's going to carry the offense like he did in L.A. with the Rams for several years. He just needs to be a guy that can complement this Falcons passing attack and really just give them some balance on the ground keep the offense on schedule and early downs and be the asset that he's been over the years as a third down receiving option and pass protector.
1: We're talking to Aaron Freeman, of course, the host of Locked On Falcons Atlanta in one of the stack divisions. Of course, you're looking at a strong QB class in the NFC South, but let's switch to the defense. There were some changes as far as the coaching staff. They went defense in their first and second round pick. What's telling you that this defense can kind of rebound from a couple thin years?
9: Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, you know, they they finished strong in the second half of the season. That was primarily spearheaded by their pass rush. Guys like Grady Jarrett, you saw other players like Adrian Claiborne step up in the second half and be able to put pressure on quarterbacks. And that, that was much needed for this Falcons defense because their secondary was very problematic throughout the season. Um, and, you know, they have a young secondary. They're hoping that the hiring of uh, defensive backs coach Joe Witt Jr., who had a lot of success coaching up some young corners in Green Bay for a decade is going to help improve some of these young guys. You mentioned AJ Terrell, their top selection. He's going to sort of be asked to come in and be that number one corner filling in the shoes of Desmond Trufant last year. But a big reason why their secondary struggled was Trufant missed half the season. Keanu Neal missed most of the season with injury. They're getting Neal back. uh, if, If Terrell can step into Trufant's shoes. And then when you couple that with, what is expected to be an improved pass rush with additions like Dante Fowler in free agency, as well as the second round pick and Marlon Davidson on the interior, the team with guys like Grady Jarrett, as well as Tack McKinley. If you can get the front end and the back end working in conjunction with each other, there's you know every reason to believe that the Falcons defense can pick up where they left off in the second half of the season when they were one of the better defenses in the NFL over the last eight games of the season. And that would at least lead to the very least an above average to good defense, which is not something that has been consistently had in Atlanta really for decades. Uh, Going back to, you know, even their 1998 Super Bowl was really the last time they had a really formidable pass rush that could really get pressure with just four guys. And as you guys talked about it, with all the quarterbacks in the NFC South, with so many of the top quarterbacks um, that they face on their schedule this year, they're going to need to be able to put pressure on a lot of these guys if they want to be able to get stops.
2: Dan Quinn is the head coach that I really, really like, but I mean, he's got a tough road in front of him with all those teams that we just mentioned in the, in the uh, NFC South. What does Dan Quinn and company have to get done this year to ensure that he's back for another season?
9: All the talk has been, it's kind of playoffs or bust that, you know, they can't miss the playoffs for the third year in a row. The fact that Dan Quinn was able to survive. He became the first coach under Arthur Blank since he became the Falcons owner in 2002 to be able to, keep his job after missing the playoffs two consecutive years. So there's really no expectation that he'll be able to get that if he misses the playoffs for a third consecutive year. So, you know, Dan Quinn's on a bit of a warm seat uh, this upcoming season. They're going to have to get off to a fast start. They're, you know some of the tougher games that they're gonna face this upcoming season in 2020 uh, against Kansas City Tampa Bay New Orleans all come in the back half of the season so another slow start like they had in 2019 when they started off one and seven like they did in 2018 when they started off one and four they can't really afford that given the toughness of the schedule in the back end they won't be able to sort of pad off wins and wind up salvaging dan Quinn's job for a potential third year in a row. So they need to get off to a fast start early this upcoming season, show that they can do so. Um, and if they can do that, then they'll have a, a chance to to be competitive down the stretch and potentially make a run uh, for the postseason.
2: So there it is right there, AFC South, NFC South. Bo, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm excited for some football action after just hearing all those previews about those th- different teams.
1: Absolutely, and it doesn't stop here. We're just getting started with our NFL preview. Peter Bukowski's going to keep it going on Monday right here on Lockdown NFLQ.
2: Yeah, man, and it's exciting. It's a, it's a lot of fun. We're right on the eve, man. We're knocking on the door of some actual football action. There are no more Thursdays without a football game. Next Thursday, we'll be talking about, well, next Friday, we'll be talking about the Chiefs and the Texans, week one of the regular season. Uh, It doesn't get any better than this for an NFL fan.
1: Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, we're here for it, and we'll be here to break it down next Friday, Locked On NFL.